Good morning. My name is Alex, and I'm the lead pastor here at Courtright, and I want to welcome you, all of you who are here, a special welcome to Jacob Vanderkoy's family and friends. It's great to have a slightly fuller house than we've had in recent weeks. It's also really great to see some new familiar faces. I feel like over the five weeks since we reopened on Sunday mornings, reopened the building, that is, uh, there's been, each week there's been a few new people that I new familiar people, new people from before all this craziness that I've gotten to see and, and um, renew acquaintances with. So that's been a blessing. And also welcome to all of you online who are watching the service, whether live or after the fact. Today we're starting a new sermon series in the book of Ruth. Some of you have read Ruth, some of you probably haven't. I'd love to know what your impression of Ruth is. If you were to Google the words Book of Ruth, you would get some results in your search engine, and among them would be images of Ruth. And Ruth is, more often than not, I've found, portrayed as an attractive young woman, often with a Middle Eastern head covering, standing in a wheat field, looking sad with these big, doleful, expectant eyes. Clearly, she's waiting for a man to come and sweep her off her feet and give her a big loaf of bread or something. So that's the Disney version of Ruth. A man does show up eventually in this story, but not for a while. So let's be clear that Ruth is not a romance. It's the story of Naomi. Really, it's about Naomi, ultimately an old woman who starts off having lost everything, embittered, and who receives a new life. It's a redemption story. Now, we throw around words like redemption a lot on Sunday mornings in this room, in the church. But what does that word really mean? Well, it's a good question. It's one we're going to explore over the next four weeks as we read through this book of the Bible. What does it mean to be redeemed? Is it a spiritual thing? It's a word that shows up 23 times in this story. How do we experience redemption in Christ? We say it's so central to what matters in life. What does it look like? How does it play out in our lives? Would you say that you are aware of God's redemptive purposes in your life and that you are pursuing them somehow? Because it's our redemption story too. It's not just Ruth's and Naomi's. And I trust the Holy Spirit is going to use it over the next month to encourage you and to stir all of us up as a congregation to be more open to what God's doing in the world. So let's pray before we open our Bibles. Let's pray and ask for more of that. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are on the move and we are so often just stuck. Would you come and stir us up individually and together as your people at Courtright? We believe that you are full of every good thing and you want to pour that into us. So would you encourage us, would you show us who you are and where you're leading us this morning through the ministry of your word? We ask it in Jesus Christ. Amen. So if you've got a Bible, whether you're here or at home, whether it's a book or on a screen, I'd encourage you to open it up. 
and to keep it open because I will be referring back to specific verses. Uh, we're going to read the whole of chapter 1 of the book of Ruth. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about ten years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you really wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or to, take, or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them, and the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them, which is a Hebrew name that means bitter. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. This is the word of the Lord. So the opening of the book of Ruth sets the scene 
for the whole story. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So we hear about Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and their two sons, Malin and Kilian. They came from the town of Bethlehem, from the clan of the Ephrathites, within the tribe of Judah. They left their home and they went to Moab because they had to, because there was famine. They were looking for food. But from that point on, everything starts to fall apart. Elimelech dies and is left, and Naomi is left without a husband. And that would have been a disaster at that point in history, when there was no concept of human rights, and when women were incredibly vulnerable if there were no men around to protect them. But Naomi still had two sons, and her sons married Moabite women. So there's a glimmer of hope there, the hope of stability represented by children and the extension of family, again, huge in that culture. Next, the tragedy gets worse with the death of both of Naomi's sons. So she's left without her husband and without her boys. In the span of two short verses, she has lost everything. Naomi's life has become empty of meaning. This morning, we're going to ask three questions that arise from this passage. First of all, where is God when I suffer? Secondly, who is God and can I really trust him? Third, how am I responding to him, if at all? And for those of you who prefer three points, I know there are some of you like that, the three points to go with those three questions would be, first of all, the presence of God, or perhaps his absence. Secondly, the character of God. And third, the invitation of God. So we start with the presence of God. Where is God when we suffer? We have a harder time seeing him when we suffer, right? A lot of the time, you can't really know what's going on in people's lives just from looking at the surface appearance of what they're doing, how they're acting. We even go out of our way at times to conceal our struggles, the adversity we're dealing with. But every one of us in this room has experienced loss of one kind or another. And when we go through hard times, it's right to ask. It's good to ask why. It's the most natural human response. Why is this happening to me? If God is sovereign over the whole universe, if he's in control of everything, how could he let this happen? Now, most of the adversity we face doesn't come directly from God. I sometimes meet with people who are dealing with difficulty in their life, and they're torn up inside because they believe that God has punished them for something they've done in the past. They believe that God is the source of the bad things happening in their life. Or even, and, and this is surprisingly common, that he has cursed them in a way. Here in Ruth, it does not say that God is punishing this family for leaving the promised land, for going AWOL to pagan Moab, or because their sons disobeyed God and married outside his chosen people. They married into a culture of idolatry. We have the freedom to choose. God's given every one of us that. That is central to our humanity. And yes, many of our troubles are the consequences of our sin, the bad decisions we've made and the ways we've disobeyed God. But at the same time, we know that the entire world is fallen. It has fallen short of what God intended 
and it has fallen into a kind of chaos in contrast to the harmony and the order that God created the world and all of us to enjoy. And so sickness and death, famine and pandemic, these things were not a part of God's plan for his creation for us. Naomi is hurt, deeply hurt, and she has become bitter. But she has not turned her back on God. She's wrestling with him. At the end of this passage, she blames him, but she does not deny him. And so the first chapter of the book of Ruth is full of lament, and that's okay. Maybe more than okay. Let's not pretend that faith is easy. We struggle to trust God, and the Bible tells that story honestly, always. Take the Psalms, for example. The Psalms at the very heart of Scripture in the middle, the book of prayer that teaches us how to speak to God, how to hear from God, how to relate to God. The Psalms are not full only of praise, are not full only of giving the glory to God. They are full of just as much lament and doubt and anguish. One thing's for sure, before we can start to trust God, we need to see Him rightly. He is not a vindictive God. He is merciful and slow to anger. When we experience trials, God never leaves us alone in our pain. He seeks us out. He is the good shepherd, and he leads us out of the darkness into new life. So early in the story of Ruth, we witness what you might call the undoing of Naomi. It's as if the layers of meaning in her life are torn away one by one. She had a wife, but not anymore. She was a wife, excuse me, but not anymore. She was a mother, but that's gone too. She had a family and a livelihood, but all of that is over now. And so we've watched as one person's life has come unraveled, has become deconstructed. She used to know who she was in relation to husband, children, town, and tribe. And as she says, I went away full, but now God has brought me back empty. I think some, perhaps many of us, can relate to that feeling. We go through changes, changes that are painful often, and especially right now with this pandemic, we are feeling emptier than we were a year ago. Whether or not we have additional challenges, personal circumstances to deal with. I had two conversations this week that provide an illustration of this. I was talking with friends who are mourning the loss of travel. I don't know if you can relate to that. One of my friends is a young guy in Toronto, real estate agent, who used to take it for granted that he could jump on an airplane and spend the long weekend in New York City, go to the theater. He loves the culture of New York, hasn't been there in almost a year. Another couple had plans to take the trip of a lifetime early on in their retirement. And of course, that couldn't happen. We also go through significantly more difficult losses, the death of a loved one, major health challenges for some of us, leaving home, disappointment, disruption of so many kinds. We may experience changes at work or in school, failure, disappointment of one kind or another, job loss, changing programs, uncertainty about what we should be doing with our lives, and then later in life, retirement 
and the identity crisis that can bring. Well, the book of Ruth begins with loss. It begins with two women who have lost everything. But Naomi and Ruth's suffering becomes an opportunity for love. It's the first step on a journey to redemption. So Naomi is beginning a new chapter in her life. And as she leaves on her journey back to Bethlehem, she has company. Orpah and Ruth, her daughters-in-law, are with her, and they are not returning home. They've already gone beyond the call of duty at this point. Their obligation to their mother-in-law, Naomi, diminished when their husbands died, and it ended completely when Naomi decided that she was going back to Judah. Naomi knows that, and so she does something remarkable here. She releases them. She says to Orpah and Ruth, she says, go back to your mother's home. Go back to your real family. Go back to safety. And I think what we start to see here is the character of God reflected in Naomi's action. Now, why would Naomi send these two young women, strong women, back to Moab? She should really have been begging them to stay with her because they increased her chances of survival significantly. Instead, in verse 8, she blesses them with the Lord's kindness. And the Hebrew word there for kindness is really significant today and for the rest of our series in Ruth. It's the word chesed. It's a fun word to say. Now, maybe with the pandemic, those guttural noises, be a little careful of those in public, okay? But in the privacy of your own home, perhaps in the bathroom, you can really let loose and say chesed. How much fun you're going to have this week with that, right? Chesed is often translated as kindness or loving kindness, but really it's quite a bit bigger than that. Chesed combines ideas of loyalty, faithfulness, mercy. It's steadfast love. It's covenant love. It's God's kind of love. It's a love that pursues the lost against all the odds. It's a love that overcomes darkness, despair, and even death. It's a love that will not falter or fail. It's at the heart of who God truly is, according to the Bible. So Orpah and Ruth won't leave Naomi. They weep aloud. But Naomi insists in verse 11. She's putting their interests first. And we can hear anger in her voice as she tells them that her way is only a dead end. There's no hope of prosperity or security where she's going. And so Orpah takes Naomi's advice and heads back to Moab. It only makes sense. But Ruth defies all expectations. Instead, she takes an incredible step of faith in verse 16, where she says, in, in words that may be familiar to some of you, really one of the highlights of the whole Bible for me, Ruth says to her mother-in-law, where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. And then she takes it even further. She refers to the God of Israel, Naomi's God, as Lord, as Yahweh, his covenant name. And you may not see this at first when you read it, but the significance of that is that she is making a vow to the one true God, to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's become personal for her. 
One commentator I read called Ruth the greatest example of faith in the whole Old Testament. She's alone here and has nothing. God didn't call her or promise her a blessing. She makes this choice without any support, knowing she's likely to face rejection or death on the path that lies ahead. Not only has she broken with her family, her country, her faith, but she's also reversed her allegiance here. A young woman has committed herself to an old woman rather than searching for a husband in a world where life depended on men. And so this moment is packed full of chesed love, this surprising loving kindness of God. It reflects his character, and it's his amazing grace to Naomi. I think all of us long for this kind of love because we are so often disappointed in love or hurt in love. In our fallen world, which is full of people who are selfish and sinful, people like you and me, we don't see enough of this kind of love, either in family, in friendship, or in marriage. But this is the love that God has for us. It's the heart of his character. And as we come to see that, as we get to know who he is, we can grow in our trust of him. I love this picture of Ruth and Naomi, this unlikely interracial friendship between a younger woman and an older woman. They have chosen each other. It's a new kind of family. A few weeks ago, if you were with us, we heard a testimony from Thaddeus Ipp. Thaddeus is new to Courtright, and it was so encouraging for me to hear a little of his story. One thing he says, he says in that testimony is that he was initially attracted to become part of our congregation because of how intergenerational it was. And that was good for me to hear. It's a mark of gospel community to be building bonds across all kinds of barriers, including generational barriers. We, we see old and young divided a lot in our culture. So the last question I want to ask this morning is, is how are we doing that? How are you responding to the invitation of God to reflect his kind of love or to receive it? We've wrestled with the presence of God this morning. We've seen his character, his loving kindness reflected in this relationship between Ruth and Naomi. So what comes next? Are we going to receive the grace of Jesus and all of the goodness of God and keep it for ourselves? Will we stay in the comfort of a small group of close friends and family? How would you respond if a bitter old person like Naomi came into your life? What is your attitude towards the needy people who are around you right now? Do you head quickly in the opposite direction? Look at verse 19. It says, When they got to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And everyone in the town asked, can this be Naomi? They are shocked at what's happened to her, and they're moved. But they're not moved enough to do anything. How are you stirred by the hesed love of God? And who are you choosing to love? This story takes the pain seriously. We often want to rush past the pain and get to the happy ending. The love that Ruth expresses for Naomi does not diminish her suffering. And we should expect that in our lives as well. 
Maybe you can relate to Ruth. You've had a turning point, a conversion in your life, and out of that, things have changed. You're reaching out to people, to someone in particular, maybe, in love and forgiveness. You're not going to see change overnight. We have to be prepared to wait on God and commit to the journey. That has been the witness of the church and of Christian faith over the centuries. When the witness has been most powerful, it's because the Holy Spirit has enabled that kind of commitment. Or maybe you can relate to Naomi, caught in her pain and the memory of her loss. This story makes room for complaint. This story opens up the possibility of a blessed bitterness. We can't hurry through our pain. It's a long journey, and God's kind of love is no romantic quick fix. It's hard work, and it takes time. Stephen Colbert has a story like that. Some of you know Stephen Colbert, the comedian and former host of The Colbert Report, who took over The Late Show from David Letterman. He's famous for his biting sarcasm and his sharp wit. He's a very funny man. What most people don't know is that Stephen Colbert is a committed Christian. In 1974, when he was 10 years old, his father and his two brothers died in a plane crash. In one interview I came across recently, he said this. He said, there's a common explanation if you know comedians, that an experience of profound sadness leads to someone becoming a comedian. But I'm not sure that's true in my case. I'm not bitter about what happened to me as a child. And my mother was instrumental in keeping me from bitterness. She taught me to be grateful for my life regardless of circumstances. And that is directly related to the image of Jesus Christ on the cross and the example of sacrifice that he gives us. I mean, this is Stephen Colbert talking, right? And he continues. He says, my mother taught me, and he was one of 11 children before the plane crash. My mother taught me, Catholic Christian, my mother taught me that the deliverance God offers you from pain isn't no pain. The deliverance God offers you from pain is that pain is actually a gift. What's the option? God doesn't really give you another choice. Now, we could unpack that for a long time. But I think maybe we can agree that Stephen Colbert is right when he says that when we suffer loss, we can become bitter. But also that through Jesus Christ, God provides a way for us to return to him. And along with that provision, there are often companions for us on the road, companions like Ruth was to Naomi. And the question of pain as a gift is, is profound and not one we can explore this morning. But even in our pain, we can look for God. Maybe especially in our pain, we do look for him. And he promises that we will find him in his loving kindness. He doesn't deny the past or erase the suffering. No, he points to a new beginning. He says that Jesus Christ 
is the hope of healing and forgiveness, the ultimate hope we all need. And he takes our brokenness seriously, not just by addressing it, but by entering into it, by himself becoming broken in the most horrible way, by giving his life at the cross for us. And as he does that, he makes returning home to God our Father possible by giving us new life, by opening a living way through his resurrection. And so we don't have to settle for dead ends. We don't have to settle for isolation, separation from God and from other people. The Holy Spirit draws us into a new reality, a new family where we are committed to truth and to forgiveness, where we are living that out together in the church, working that through. Notice the ending to this chapter. Naomi continues to blame God, right? There's no magical release from that. But now she's accompanied by Ruth. God has given her this friend, a sign of his loving kindness. And as they arrive in Bethlehem, it says the barley harvest is beginning. There is food to eat. And behind it all, we can discern the love of God shaping the future. And now all we have to do is to wait for it to grow. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your kindness, your steadfast love that does not change, your love that does not fail or falter like we so often experience love. We thank you for your love that conquers every obstacle that draws us out of despair, that pulls us back from the darkness into your light. Would you move us, stir us up as you stirred people in this story to be more open to receiving that love from you and from others, to admitting our weakness, to asking for help, but also to being sent by you, reflecting that love, reaching out to others, those who are bitter, those who are rejected, those who are in difficulty of all kinds. Would you use us and fill us with your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.